It is the 21st century. There are too many video games. But out there, it's waiting. The best video game you've never played. Welcome to The Best Video Game You've Never Played, the podcast where I, stand-up and improv comedian Lewis Dunn, take on the suggestions of my guests as to what they think is the best video game that I have never played. I then play it for a week and sit down and have a chat with them to discuss whether or not they have found an excellent, rare, vintage, a beautiful game, a game that has only gotten better with age, or whether or not they have given me slur with a turd in it. This week's guest is James Gamblin, a fellow comedian and performer who I think is uh, an absolutely lovely person and a great person to have a chat to about lovely, quaint, nice things. And boy, has he brought along a lovely, quaint, nice thing. So let's crack on with the podcast. Let's talk to James Gamblin. Hello, James. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Lewis. How are you? I am deeply puzzled this week, James. I have been uh, spending my time in the company of uh, a very astute gentleman and uh, a very, uh, let's be honest, irritating little boy, uh, because this week I have been playing the game that you have brought along to suggest is the best video game that I have never played. So why don't you tell our listeners what game it is you brought along? The video game that I brought along that I think is the best video game you have never played, Lewis Dunn, is Professor Layton and Pandora's Box, which is the, I'll be honest, second in a series of of six games uh, that were originally released for the Nintendo DS that are basically, if you remember Dr. Kawashima's brain training on the DS, that, but with a plot and some anime to it, which admittedly isn't the best sell, but... (laughs) <laughs> I really love it. I spent a lot of time on it. I have played all six of them. There was a spin-off film. There was a spin-off game. There was a crossover game with another game franchise, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point. Um, but yeah, it's basically a game about an astute archaeology professor sticking his nose in where it doesn't belong so with a very annoying small child <laughs> that he seems to have acquired somewhere, solving mysteries that he has absolutely no credentials to solve. Well, it's quite an interesting game in that sense because I, I obviously I've come in here with game two. I, I've been aware of Professor Layton as a franchise largely because uh, as a kid I was one of these people who was like a very avid early adopter of the Nintendo DS. I think I got it even a few weeks after launch. So I was someone who was like constantly starved for new things to play on the DS because I was getting the games as they were coming out and because the Nintendo games, they're all very expensive and like you can't, you can't get all of them, and you have to be very particular. So I was aware of Professor Layton as a franchise. I believe my brother owned the first one, and I tried it once, got stuck fairly early on, and never revisited it again. I mean, there's so there's a reason I recommended the second one to you, I think. The, the first reason is it's my favourite of the six, I think. But mainly, the, the first one was very much... Um, as a game series... Uh, and I think this is a point I will touch on a lot. It seems to have adopted the George Lucas method of releasing media and telling a story in that they only ever intended to do one. 
And then there was a second one, which was much better regarded because it ironed out all of the gameplay kinks of the first. Um, okay, so that's quite interesting. So I I was under the assumption that these Professor Layton games were being like... not. I think churned out is unfair, but I, I assumed it was very much the case that it was like... Uh, kind of like Phoenix Wright in that there was like a trilogy of them and then they were like, oh, let's bring those to the West then. Let's let's uh, localise those as best we can. I'm not sh- I, I, I couldn't speak either way as to whether that's what actually happened. I remember that the first one is Professor Lurton and the Curious Village and that came out on the DS and was very much mar- I feel like it was a victim of its own marketing because it was marketed as almost like I said, Dr. Kawashima's brain training um, which was a game on the DS mm. where a scary low polygon rendering of a professor told you that you had the brain of a 70-year-old and that you had to learn how to <laughs> add again in order to not essentially suffer brain death at the age of 18. Um, but I think the, f- the, first one, the first one came out. It did it did quite well. Um, it, has, it has a plot and it has a nice sort of style and atmosphere to it. And then they churned out two more in quite quick succession, I think, with Pandora's Box and uh, Unwound Future, which was the third one. And that was a nice little trilogy. And then a little bit of time passed and they released essentially a prequel trilogy, which wasn't as widely received, dabbled with 3D in a way that it never should have tampered with and is largely forgotten by people that enjoy it quite a lot. Well, this is the thing. Like, I, it's fair to say, Professor Layton is, as you say, it's it's very warmly received. And I think one of the things that I'm going to struggle with in terms of discussing this game with you is that, in a way, I feel like this game and its demographic and what it's trying to achieve are so like cozy and like well metered, and the game knows pretty much exactly what it wants to be, and it's not trying to be terribly ambitious outside of it, but also. It's quite unique. I can't really think of a game that's like Professor Layton because so to, for people who aren't really familiar with the series or, or what it's about, it's essentially you are uh, following a sort of uh, a nice little narrative, a nice little mystery narrative that sort of comes along in text boxes and occasionally short animated cutscenes. Uh, and every so often the game will also, I say every so often, very frequently without warning, the game will also uh, throw up logic puzzles at you. And by logic puzzles, I do just mean random, irrelevant puzzles <laughs> that are like... There's over 150 of them in this game, apparently. And they're just... They they have largely almost nothing to do with the story that you're engaged with. These are just, these are just puzzles that get in the way of the story, basically. What I, quite en- so- what I quite enjoy about a lot of the... Sorry, go on. You were going to say something and I... Well, I was just going to say, I think one of the problems I have with this game is that 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 kind of annoys me. But there's also a part of me that fully acknowledges that is the game never pretended it was ever going to be anything else. Like, I can't I can't be too annoyed at the game for being exactly what it advertised itself as. No, that would be slightly churlish if you were to take that stance. But uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting that you sort of say that the puzzles get in the way because i am someone who loves this game and loves all of the games and yet i also occasionally Mm. find myself going i don't want to do the weird little jigsaw puzzle that you've given me i want to know why the man went into the castle which is also sort of (laughs) speaks to you know that there is there is a large overarching plot in the whole game and there are 
as as you go through it there are sort of lots of mini mysteries that present themselves that you eventually solve to piece together the the big reveal at the end what i do enjoy and it's you've leveled a perfectly valid criticism is but what i do enjoy is the complete irrelevance of some of the puzzles which are the gameplay mechanic the complete irrelevance of those to the narrative and sometimes the mental and logical gymnastics that a writer somewhere has tried to do to make it in even the slightest bit relevant um like there, there might be a, a sequence there's a sequence quite early on where you're on a train for a long time and you run into mm. a chef and at any point professor Leighton will go ah this reminds me of a puzzle luke because you've encountered a chef and then it gives you a puzzle that is essentially like it's called the tower of hanoi where you have like differently sized um blocks and you have to move them to another sort of space by not being able to put a big block on top of a smaller block and the only relevance mm. <clears throat> of that particular puzzle to the fact you're on a train with a chef is the backdrop happens to be a kitchen and the items are plates. Yes, this is the thing. So Professor Layton's full of, as you pointed out, the Towers of Hanoi. It's full of quite famous logic puzzles. Yes. Um, and it's also filled with like, uh, like sliding block puzzles turn up occasionally in this game because sliding block puzzles are a type of puzzle. Uh, as do mazes that you might find on the back of a Happy Meal. So the game has this very irreverent attitude to the fact that the gameplay and the plot are actually at complete odds with each other. When I say the puzzles get in the way of the story, I don't just mean that in the terms of like, oh, you know, I want to get to the next cutscene and I have to complete this gameplay arc. I mean, they very literally stop the story, introduce a puzzle like you say like towers of hanoi and then they go solve towers of hanoi and then you can carry on playing the game and there's a part of me that's like this is like everything that people are told when they're in game design not to do don't just put obstacles in the way of the player that are contextless for the sake of creating length but also professor layton has come out and gone i am essentially a book of logic puzzles wedged inside of this very like charming little like uh, it's sort of it kind of reminds me of like an agatha christie i was not i really was wondering same... whether you were going to say an agatha christie thing because that's exactly what i was going to say it's got a very similar sort of old-ish english tone and atmosphere to it Yes, is... but it's like Agatha Christie by way of Japan's like interpretation of England. Yes, in the same like... way that the world of Ace Attorney is sort of San Francisco if you slap a, a Japan filter on it. Well, the thing was the thing with Ace Attorney is that it is actually originally in Japan. That is also true. And then true. the localization team the localization team then made it into San Francisco and it has hilarious, bizarre inconsistencies such as like spirit medium villages. That is uh, true. Which obviously don't really exist in San Francisco. Professor Layton <laughs> has no such excuse. It is literally just what a studio in Japan thinks London might be like. And it's quite charming because yes. it's sort of this interesting clash of like, uh, they sort of, they very much acknowledge that like manners are a thing in Britain. 
uh, in that, like, you know, the, the higher echelons of society are supposed to be very well-mannered, and obviously you get very rude, posh people as well, and that's sort of another thing they play into. But the way that they understand manners sort of ties into their cultural idea of manners, where it's sort of like um, almost honour based and as a result you get this weird thing about the hierarchies going on where like some people are like unreasonably rude to other people who are unreasonably subservient and i'm like that's not quite that doesn't quite level off with how that (laughs) how that interpretation works and that that sort of that view of things does crop up in a few places not only the the manners thing but also the the heightened Britishness of stuff. So the the manners stuff plays mm. out in the dynamic between Professor Layton, an archaeology professor, why is he solving these mysteries? We never really find out. And the small boy he seems to have acquired at some point in the past. And you find out how he acquired the small boy. I, I should point out, the small boy is uh, called Luke. He is Professor Layton's mm. apprentice and gentleman in training as he puts it. And occasionally you will have an interaction between Professor Layton and Luke, where Luke is behaves as a small boy would in, in that scenario. If there's like a cute puppy that he sees or someone that's rude to him, he will behave as he would expect a sort of 10-year-old boy to behave. And then Professor Layton will just sort of turn around and admonish him and tell him that's not, not how a gentleman behaves. A gentleman would fence <laughs> to defend their honour, not call them a name. Yes, yeah, and it's sort of, it's quite interesting because I kind of understand that they're trying to lean into this idea of, like, that, again, that that premise of an archaeology professor basically takes on a ward and is training him to be a gentleman. It feels like they're trying to lean into this sort of almost Sherlock Holmesian idea of, like, gentlemanliness and so on. But also, it's worth remembering, Sherlock Holmes was actually quite horrible. He was not a pleasant man to, to a lot of people. Yeah, particularly to people who he considered lesser than himself. Um, and so you, you're in this bizarre situation where Professor Layton is incredibly well-mannered, but also apparently a total bastard. And it's not yes. really clear. The, the way it's written, it's not really clear how much we're supposed to... Uh, I think we're supposed to say with Professor Layton. I think we're supposed to think he's a nice person. And to be fair, he generally is a nice person. Yes. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to overreg it as a thing of suggesting that like the tone of this game is completely off. It's not. The tone of this game is largely quite charming and fun, and then occasionally you get these bizarre little culture clashes that are quite genuinely quite amusing more than anything. Um, but so, Professor Layton as a game. Now I got this on my mobile phone. Um, because they've done a nice HD remaster of it for Android, and I can say this right now: if you're interested in Professor Layton, the Android port is lovely. It's a really good port of this game. The graphics have been done up so they look much nicer and the split screen thing works fine because obviously the phone screen's tall rather than it is wide so they've managed to make it adapt from the DS to the phone really well. And uh, it's a a great port of this game. I actually think I'm really glad I got the mobile phone version of this because I think I would prefer it than going back to the very low-res screens of the DS and the very uh, temperamental touchscreen of the DS. So uh, it's it's a nice port, but I think the problem that that gave me was it was very easy to get distracted while I was playing this game. And that's very much a problem with a game that largely requires you to sit down and chew on the puzzles that are being presented to you. And so there's a part of me that's like the mobile phone port of this game is gorgeously done. They've done an incredible job of, of porting this video game. Um, but also playing on a mobile phone where you can get a notification at any point is a great way to not make much not make much process on this game. 
I can see that. It, it... So I'm gonna, I'm gonna be very honest with you and with the listener right now. I played this game for just over, according to the save file, just over two hours. Okay. So I did not make much progress in Professor Layton at all. So all the criticisms that I've leveled at it so far largely come from my experience of trying to play it. And my main experience of trying to play it is getting stuck, getting bored, going and looking at Twitter. That that seems fair. And I, I think is is in some way in many ways a shame and i think it's it's a shame i guess that the the format format's not quite the right word the forum in which you've played this game is to spend some intensive time on it in order to talk about it because it definitely comes into its own like you say when you have the time to chew over the puzzles and get through the slow burn of the story because i think one well, of I wanna... the... I want to ask you about this. How much better does the story get? Because I feel like in the two hours that I played it, so for the sake of letting you know where I got up to in the plot, I got up to uh, the village of Dropstone, and I got up to the um, uh, the like agri- the livestock festival part. Right, uh, I know what you mean. Yeah, so I so I'll admit I can I can see the plot outline here on Wikipedia. I did not get incredibly far but i will say that basically the start of the game has a very compelling uh opening mystery hook and then you go on a train and it's quite boring and then you get to this village and it's quite boring so i'm assuming that the story must pick up does it do you think it picks up in a significant way yes i do i think while this this is definitely one of my favorite stories of the six um but mainly because of sort of the latter two thirds. I think this particular game does suffer from a little bit of a pacing issue towards the start because you are immediately presented with quite a pressing mystery um, and one that, excuse me, that you sort of make quite a lot of progress in quite quickly. And then, like you say, you end up in two areas that are more there to warm you up to the gameplay than they are to the plot, which is a shame. it does introduce a couple of gameplay mechanics um, that are, that stay with you for a while. Um, sort of as an aside, there there are there are in every one of the games there are sort of ongoing puzzles that you can access via the start menu that uh, you sort of collect things to add to throughout the game, and they're always different in each one. Mm-hmm. So in, in in this one, you get a, a tea set and a hamster that you have to entertain. In another one, there's um, uh, a, tr- a model train set and uh, a model race car and stuff, but that's not the point I'm getting to right now. But yes, it does definitely the plot definitely does pick up once you get past. I ironically, maybe about 15 minutes after you stopped, you arrive at the <laughs> you arrive at the final destination for you arrive at the location where everything else happens. Um, right. I, I think by the point that you've got to, you'll have found a few of the sort of story mysteries that it will sort of stop the game and go, hmm, this is a mystery that we're not sure about. Why is this person here? We'll find out later. And you arrive at this this final destination. And I think about four of those get, um, four more of those get revealed to you in quite quick succession because a lot of weird mm. stuff is happening at the final place that you arrive at. 
Um, okay. Well, this is the thing. I, I I feel bad in a way trying to come because obviously I'm trying to come in on this as the best video game you never played and so on. And I feel like it's just a shame that I've not been able to focus massively on the game because for whatever reason my brain is unable to to ignore the notifications or unable to 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 really click i think the problem i have is i don't really ever feel immersed in professor layton i feel like i'm clicking through a book that occasionally throws puzzles at me and then i either solve the puzzles or use enough hint coins until eventually the puzzle more or less solves itself uh, I must admit, there have been times when I've sold the puzzle immediately in one go and I feel like a genius and then there's other times where I've spent every single hint coin and I'm like, I still don't understand how to solve this puzzle. And it's it, it feels a little bit like... You compared it to Dr. Karashima's brain training. And the thing with Dr. Karashima's brain training is that that is a game that basically says, play me for 15 minutes, put me down, that's the end of your training for today. That's all you have to do for the day. And it, it, it doesn't necessarily scold you, but it basically says, look, if you're going to continue to play this, there's nothing here for you to continue to play. At best, you can go play Sudoku. And maybe you can practice some of the exercises if you really want to. Whereas Professor Layton is sort of caught between these two worlds that on the one hand, here's a story, here's a mystery to solve. And on the other hand, here's a series of bite-sized puzzles that you might want to chew on rather than like be gatekeeped by in terms of like you have to solve some of the puzzles are mandatory some of them are optional i did have to learn to walk away from some of the optional ones um, because you can just end up staring at something and going mad yes um you can i think <laughs> I, I i i didn't mean to compare it to dr kawashima's brain training i think what i i more meant is i think a lot of this game's initial downfall and the reason that it's sort of become a little bit niche is because it was initially marketed similarly to Dr. Kawashima's brain training with the launch of right, okay. with the launch of the DS and the touchscreen and things, it was very much marketed as, hey, another another way f- for you to do puzzles. Um, which I think now that I'm listening to you talk about it, I understand why they did that. I've always held a bit of a grudge about that because in my head it's so much more <laughs> the plot's so brilliant uh, because i think i genuinely think some of the stories are excellent um and the okay. puzzles are just a gameplay mechanic but when i say the puzzles are just a gameplay mechanic i realize that it it is a video game and there should be a gameplay mechanic for it and the gameplay mechanic is all of the puzzles so here's the thing james do you know what i i've been talking about this game uh with my partner and trying to trying to gauge with her like she has a relationship she she enjoyed it um as a kid and she she played quite a few of them and it was very much an interesting she discussed how the way that it was played in their household was her sister would get stuck and come over and be like i can't solve this and then they'd look at it and go oh yeah no you do this this and this and so they sort of it it, it sort of existed in the house for quite a long time and i've only really had um uh, just over a week with this game so I can sort of see how it's kind of... I'm not really supposed to rush through it. I'm not really supposed to, like... You know, in the same way that I played other games on this podcast where I'm trying to, like, get through it as quickly as possible. I think if I did that with Professor Lane, I'd ruin it somewhat. Because, by all means, I can go and look up a strategy guide on how to complete every puzzle in Professor Layton and get the story incomplete. And I think that would be a complete waste of time. Uh, because then there's no... As you say, there's no game to it. But also, the game of Professor Layton is not 
part of the story. It just, they just don't they just don't interact. They're just overlapping over the top of each other, uh, and it feels sometimes like. So this is the thing. We've also talked about another video game in this podcast, which is um, Phoenix Wright, the Ace Attorney games. Ace Attorney, I feel like, actually understands how to layer in puzzle and gameplay mechanics over the top of each other so that one is a compelling force on the other. I've played and completed at least two of the Ace Attorney games. And the thing that makes them so good is that in order to progress the story, you have to have been paying attention to the story. You have to be able to understand why pieces of evidence are going to be contradictory. You have to understand why you're going to go and look at something in a particular area or talk to a character about a particular thing. And that's a game whereby the story and the gameplay interact in a really strong way. Professor Layton doesn't. I feel like I could read the story of Professor Layton... And that would be just as compelling as playing the game in terms of the story. And I could solve all the puzzles in Professor Layton and not feel like I missed any of the story at all. I feel like that that is that is fair. I have a couple of I mean, I, I have a couple of sort of points to pick up on. Not that I disagree with any of it. And so there is there are there are a few things later on in the game where the puzzle is were you paying attention earlier on? And there are a f- there are a few things that do interact in a in an Ace Attorney type fashion, and I think Ace Attorney definitely definitely came first because Ace Attorney was originally, as we've mentioned, a Japanese game on the Game Boy Advance, whereas this was developed solely for the DS because hey look a touchscreen we can do puzzles now like this, um, <laughs> and I think there was an element of Professor Layton attempting to sort of emulate that kind of vibe a little bit and not quite doing it which is again something we've touched on in the sort of trying to make the puzzles relevant sometimes it is um you're trying to pick a lock and there is a lock picking puzzle there so that you do feel a little sense of accomplishment of oh i am doing a thing in the world but what i think is a, an interesting point given that we've sort of brought up these two games separately is the crossover game i mentioned earlier was a professor Layton ace attorney crossover game which i feel like was and i don't know what i what i sorry go on it makes sense and it also makes no sense yeah (laughs) like they're they're very similar they're very similar games in a lot of ways but i mean look i i've not i've only i've not gotten massively far in the professor layton games but i think the thing that i really loved about um the ace attorney games was the characters and the plots like i i found myself very invested in the stories and one of the things that was very very good about the ace attorney games was that like each game consists of four or five cases and they all in some way connect either through a character through line or there's like some way that the the plots connect overall whereas i feel like in professor layton i've played through the first few hours of this game and i'm just like when are we like i don't know i don't know luke and professor layton particularly well i didn't play the first game um but even the characters you were not missing out on any characterization from the first game this is the thing. They're not particularly interesting characters. They're charming. They're nice little archetypes. They're sort of they're quaint to look at. But there's no, 
there's no like tangible meat to them that makes me want to understand like oh what would happen if professor layton got into this situation the answer is is he'd probably be very calm and deal with it he's not like there's a lack of compelling characterization in the game i feel and that i i agree i think there are it's it's the again it's i i feel like i'm using this as a get out clause and i don't mean it to these sort of things do get better the further into the game you get as as you learn more as the mystery starts to get more serious and especially mm. sort of towards the end when the curtain is pulled back and you see what was going on all along you do get more of a more of an insight into the characters and also that's kind of what the third game Unran Future definitely delves into Professor Layton as a character and his backstory. And then the fourth game, The Lost Spectre, um, delves into Luke's backstory. That's the story of how they met and why Luke is how he is and why he can talk to animals. Side note, Luke can talk to animals. Never really explained. Yeah, he went over to a cow and had a conversation with a cow. And I thought, is this a comedy bit or is this something he can do? No, he can legitimately talk to animals. Don't think about it too hard. Wow. It's very much it's very much useful when it's useful and then never mentioned otherwise. Okay. Um, so look, this this is the thing about Professor Layton that I feel it suffers with because I think there is one thing that is the perfect comparison to Professor Layton and is like the thing I could not stop thinking about whenever I was playing it. I'm intrigued. When you were a kid, did you ever have an Osborne puzzle book? Yes. With a little um, hot air balloon on the spine. Yes. And it was yeah, for people oh listening this is a, this is a Yes. <laughs> yeah. So what it is is that it's basically a puzzle book where you open the book and the book will be like you're going on an adventure with this person and so on, but to get going you need to pack the right things, pack everything that fulfills this category and then you'd solve a puzzle on the page and then once you solved the puzzle on the page you could turn to the next page and the adventure would continue and then you'd be presented with another puzzle. And that is what this game is. It's a big bumper one of those with a more interesting story in terms of the. there's more of a mystery going on and there's animated cutscenes and dialogue which generally these Osborne puzzle books didn't have in abundance. Um, you can't really print a GIF, can you? You can't. But, and I hate to do this, James, because this has happened quite a lot on this podcast. I've often accused games of just basically being books put onto a computer program with like improved like you know add music and a bit of animation and so on but this could be a book james this is a book this 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 exists basically in its current form as a book that you could probably pick up off the shelf it's just that no one's printed specifically the professor layton version of the osborne puzzle book but what they did do was i think someone got wise to that and they made a film and it's an excellent film with an excellent story <laughs> I, I like i i wish i know my job is to defend this game to the hilt and i will because i love it and i love i i, I think the very things that i enjoy about it are the things that are irking you about it i like taking the time to chew the fat over the over the puzzles and the accomplishment of solving a puzzle to move on to the next thing even if they're only tangentially related but i can't i can't fault that argument this this game definite <laughs> this game's this set of games definite strengths are the plots to them and the stories and it's it's a very lovingly crafted story with some very lovingly crafted gameplay mechanics 
also in there. But you're right, they they don't really overlap. But, and this is, I think, the crux of my argument, which isn't a very good argument, but I'm going to stand by it. <laughs> I don't care. I like both okay. of them. I like, I like both circles of those Venn, uh, that Venn diagram. And I don't really care that there's not much overlap because I get to do some logic puzzles, which I like, and I get to go on an adventure and follow a mystery that I like. I remember getting to the end of this particular game um, because they all have, like for something that starts off in all of the games, it, stories that start off very grounded in the real world, all of the endings to these stories are absolutely fantastical and complete nonsense. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I absolutely love those plots. And if you if you read the plot synopsis of this and you want a good story watch professor layton and the eternal diva because that is the film that they made and it's an excellent story and they they it's quite it's quite funny um i'm getting a little bit off topic but they, they make a little bit of an attempt to keep some of the puzzle stuff in there and there are like three or four actual puzzles that they sort of yeah. they have to solve and it's not like the game, the, the the film stops and you have to pick a menu option or anything. It's not like the early special features of Disney DVDs. Um, mm. But it, they do make a pretense of those puzzles. But th that is very much everything that you've said that you sort of appreciated about Professor Layton without all of the stuff you are not enjoying. It's got the tone, it's got the atmosphere, it's got the story. You get a little bit of puzzle but it's not in the way. I mean, well, this is the thing. I think I think also the criticism I leveled earlier is that the characterizations are pretty thin. And I think that although I was like initially interested in the, the mystery of this box that they set up, I should say that we've not even discussed the basic outline of the plot of this game. The basic yeah. outline of the plot of this game is Professor Layton is contacted by uh, a former colleague of his? It, it, he's, um, he's, or a friend, at least. It, yeah, he's, he's his mentor. He, he pop I said you didn't really miss anything by not playing the first game. You get a couple yeah. of introductions to characters, but that's basically it. And yes, he's, he's his former mentor. Yes, and he contacts Professor Layton to say, I've gotten hold of this thing called the Elysian Box. Side note, it is slightly confusing to call you a game Professor Layton and Pandora's Box and then actually have the box in question be called the Elysian Box. It's absolute nonsense. Don't think about it too hard. <laughs> yeah, just call it Professor Layton and the Elysian Box. Um, and it's, it is fabled that whoever opens this box is killed by it. Um, so, uh, naturally, he opens it. Uh, and he... Uh, uh, they turn up to basically try and find out what happened to him. He basically sends them a letter saying, I'm compelled to open this box. Please get back to my office. I, I can't wait to see you and we shall discuss further this box. But I'm very tempted to open it, so I might open it. Which is just... <laughs> don't open the box. Um, or at least don't open the box until you've got something set up so that it won't kill you. Um, then when they turn up, uh, the mentor's gone, the box is gone, and uh, it appears that somebody has made off with both. So uh, you then are sent on a uh, a trip to try and find out what happened to him because you get some clue that uh, he's um, got onto some sort of train. 
And so uh, you then follow him from there. So from the start, that's a good hook. We've got a mystery to solve this box and what it does and doesn't do and how it supposedly kills everybody who opens it. And uh, our friend is missing and we need to go and find him. The problem is, is that it's not, it's so charming and quaint, but in a way that's kind of fey and light that the the overall sense I got while playing this game was that Professor Layton thought his friend might be dead, his mentor might be dead, but uh, he has ADHD and a propensity to pick up any puzzle he could possibly find. <laughs> so you end up with this game where there there isn't really any stakes because Professor Layton only has two emotions, which is happy to find a puzzle and sad he didn't solve the puzzle. That is that is a very accurate summation of of the setup and of Professor Layton as a character. Um, I think I'm I'm gonna say it again. The tone does shift when you get beyond that sort of sleepy village you 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 ended up getting to. The tone takes a darker turn. Everything becomes much mm. more like a lot more sinister. Um, and there's very much okay. a, not everything is as it seems. Um, once you want at, at some point in the in the sleepy village you catch wind of um a town that no one dares talk about that is inaccessible except via the train that you're on but then only sometimes um and Ooh. a great tragedy that occurred 50 years ago that no one dares talk about uh, and much much of the plot thereafter is you finding out about this town finding out about the tragedy and what impact it's had today and how does that relate to the illusion box where if you open it you die and in the end it all falls together in what i think quite a satisfying way um but mm. it you do have to and this i think is the case in almost all of the games apart from maybe the latter two where it's very upfront with oh, some some stuff's going on guys um you do have to get past an initial segment of everything being a little bit airy fairy and professor layton probably not taking things quite as seriously seriously as he should given all of the evidence in front of him to all the tragedies that are potentially occurring because yes he then <laughs> sees a light bulb with a particularly intricate pattern which reminds him of a puzzle that he wants sort of 20 years ago yeah i mean look there's there is something there is something charming about the fact that the game will literally derail a conversation as having to go i like cats here's a cat puzzle but um, it it did sometimes feel like I and as well, it's difficult to know what's going to progress the game, what doesn't. One of the things, one of the reasons I didn't get particularly far in the story, even within the amount of time that I played, is because I think I solved basically every puzzle on the train, because I didn't really know how to progress without just I'd find a puzzle and I'd assume it would help me progress, but it probably didn't. That is, I think, my my biggest bugbear with this game or at least the early ones is going back to uh, ace attorney as a sort of allegory um there's there's a similar amount of uh in the sort of investigation segments if if anyone remembers them where you do have to sort of go around to various locations and look for clues and talk to people until you've sort of done the the right combination of events to progress the story there's a similar mechanic mm. here in that you do have to sort of wander around a much bigger map than any particular Ace Attorney case, but 
with far fewer defining features because on in Ace Attorney where you might have the film studio and the detention centre and um, the police station and a cafe, here you have a side street and a back street and another side street and the town square and then the street by the town square. But there's also mm. no indication of really where you should go next or how, which is something that they <laughs> did address in later games. There's a lot more hand-holding in terms of where you need to get to in order to do stuff. Um, but I, mm. I, I, I will agree that that's the most infuriating thing for me about this game is that you don't know where the hell you're meant to be most of the time. <laughs> so look here's the thing i feel like i've said everything i can say about this game and I, I and i recognize that that's largely my fault i've not given this game quite as much time as i perhaps should have and I, I i promise you i have been trying to play it but it is very easy to get distracted on the phone and also a lot of my time i'm just staring at it going i don't know how to solve this puzzle um what i would like to say though is i think i will continue to play this game I think I'm going to keep going with it because you've described the story getting more interesting and I really would like that to happen and I know for a fact that and again we keep comparing it to it because they're kind of similar games they're developed by Japanese developers and they're sort of both sort of interactive novel types I did end up really loving the Phoenix Wright games so I'm going to keep going with Professor Layton and hope that I can get past this initial lull in the plot as it were um but I mean, unfortunately, if, if we're going to go right now, based on my experience of right now, is this the best video game I've never played? I don't think it is, but I'm not sure it's the game's fault. I can't point to Professor Layton and the Curious Village and say, here is how you solve your problem, because my biggest problem with it is inherent to its design. It's not trying to be anything other than it is, and it's very successful at being what it is. So I think this is a... It feels like I'm breaking up with Professor Layton. It's not Professor Layton, it's me. <laughs> I just don't... I don't think this kind of game is likely to hook me in the same way that others did. And like, look, the bar for this series so far has been Return of the Obra Dinn, which is a game that I did not expect to love as much as I did. And then when I played it, not only did I really like what it was, I found it really compelling to the point where I managed to finish it before I recorded and like I was absolutely entranced by how much I enjoyed that game. I'm not getting that from Professor Layton, at least not to the same extent. And it's certainly to the level whereby I'm feeling like if I, if I persist with Professor Layton, I think I'm going to like it. I certainly like it now. I don't want any illusions on this. I know I've been quite negative <laughs> um, on this podcast because it's kind of my job to do that in a way is to be the negative one in some respects. I like it. It's charming. It's nice. It's quaint. It strikes me as a DS game that if I was like, one of the things, that, one of the reasons I ended up really liking Phoenix Wright was it was in my DS and I had nothing else to play. And there's a certain thing to be said to the like Stockholm syndrome that certain games require for you to love them. There's a certain thing to be said that actually sometimes you do need to get about six hours into something, be really annoyed and frustrated at it, but also unable to put it down. Um, and I feel like maybe with Professor Layton, if I kept going, I could get there. I, if if you do carry on playing it, I would be, I, I I would I it would make me very happy if you were to continue playing it because I do think that you will enjoy some of the plot elements later on. I think hmm. 
I, I, I have certainly been in the situation through all of these games where occasionally I will just relent and look at the solution to a, a particular puzzle <laughs> because there are certain puzzles that I've just never been able to do. The, the sort of um, almost Tetri- where you're presented with sort of Tetris-like blocks tessellated together. And there's a ball at one end and a socket at the other end, and you have to move the blocks to get the ball places. I've never been good at those. And I know that I'm not mm. spoiling any plot for myself by looking up the solution to an individual puzzle. Um, That's true. I try, my, I try my hardest a lot of the time to try and use the hint coins, but I have found, and this is, again, a criticism that I think they get better at later on, um, a hint, a, you get three hint coins or three hints per puzzle that you can spend hint coins on. Um, and they are either progressively, here is just how you do the puzzle, here is the solution, or variants on, why don't you think about it a bit harder? Um, yeah, I got. I can't believe some of the hints they hand out sometimes because I use the hint coins occasionally uh purely because i was like i should probably use this feature it's here i want to see how well it works also of course i got stuck at some points of course i did it's a it's got over 150 puzzles i think i solved like 36 so i don't feel like i've completely underrepresented it and it does have um, a, it does have a strange mechanic um of you being able to revisit them there's a strange character called granny riddleton who has a shack yeah granny riddleton's shack and it's literally just an old woman with like a cottage that appears in various locations and it's where she tidies up all the puzzles you never solved um yeah and i think it really re-emphasizes the point that actually granny riddleton's shack could well have been a game on its own called here is a list of 150 puzzles yes um yes definitely um but i think yeah like i said if if you do carry on with it i would say if you're not enamored by the puzzles i hope you at least get to the point where the plot intrigues you because you are not losing mm. anything by cheating at the puzzles, which I probably shouldn't say <laughs> as an advocate of, of the game. But I've definitely done it when I've got really stuck on stuff. And I want to, I get to the point where, definitely not as early on as you got to, but I've definitely got to the point where I want to progress the plot. And I could look up the plot, but I want the plot to be told to me in the way that the game tells it to me. Because I think it's very good at doing that in spite of its puzzle roadblock flaws well this is the thing the way the way it delivers the story i quite they, there's animated cutscenes that are like full-on anime cutscenes that that are uh fully voice acted and so on the voice acting is very levels of quality professor layton sounds fine luke sounds terrifying you should hear me um, I, th- I think that I, it might be an americanized version or it might be like the english language of the japanese version but luke literally sounds like a mouse in a corset <laughs> who 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 maybe like, has who i think knows what a cockney accent is meant to be because he saw it written down phonetically somewhere it's awful this is the thing whenever i was making fun of uh making fun of luke to my wife i was just doing like my toad voice so i was just doing because <laughs> that's just um <laughs> you're not far off not far off it's not quite it's not quite as um distorted as that but it's yeah. not far off um a lot of it is just like your classic um rpg almost setup in terms of like you've got a thin dialogue box that can show two lines of text at a time and then it bounces between different characters and i'm gonna level with you james i do not like that as a way to tell a story because what i'm basically doing then is reading a script um but i get it there's limitations this game is on the ds 
it's better to tell the story in a more fulsome way via that method than have just like far far fewer amounts of story and just use those cutscenes. When it so gets when it, res- when it gets sorry, go on. I re- I respect that it's within limitations. I respect that it can't just be it can't just all be animated cutscenes. When it yeah, it, the cutscenes are are good. I'm glad the cutscenes are in there. Um, as you get later on, that you sort of get a, a a middle ground between the text box and the cutscenes, in that with definitely elements of the plot that are more emotionally charged. It is the text box, but the text box is fully voice acted, which I think helps the middle ground a little bit. Um, mm. But I, I also find myself recommending the, the film um, because <laughs> it's 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 a film is like one big cutscene. Um, it's true. It's true. Uh, but yeah, the, like it, it's a similar caliber of story in that it starts off. I, it doesn't start off quite as grounded, but the the denouement is as fantastical and as outrageous as any of the games, and you don't have to contend with any of the pesky puzzles. Um, but I, 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 especially this game and the Unwound Future, I really enjoy the plot of, and I really enjoy the 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 way that it's told. Not so much the mechanism in which it's told, but sort of the voice in which it's told. No, fair enough, fair enough. Also, I just want to point out, because I've been checking Wikipedia for facts while we're doing this, um, uh, this was the fastest-selling Nintendo DS game ever released in the UK. What? So, yeah, so your fear that this game actually didn't receive much marketing. No, it did very well in the UK. It was very well received over here. And I think oh, that's not... quite telling, because... It, has, it had the it's... hell marketed out of it, but it was marketed as Dr. Kawashima's brain training with this man in the top hat. I have a distinct recollection well, of a granny sat at a, like, basically, I have a distinct recollection of an advert for one of the Professor Layton games that was a real-life old woman looking like she was sat on the set of a Dolmio advert playing this game. But I feel like that's not an unreasonable place to put this game, actually, because I think, I think in a way, the things that I find, like, irritating about it, or things that I don't like about it, are actually things that I feel like a broader demographic would like i feel like actually professor layton uh for all the things for all the complaints i have of the puzzles seem disconnected from the gameplay uh in a way that kind of makes it easier for some people because then the puzzle sort of exists in its own entity and it's just a thing that you do and then the thing progresses uh whereas i definitely acknowledge that like phoenix Wright is probably a very inaccessible game to a lot of people largely because phoenix Wright is very good at like just put just throwing up the wall and being like, if you can't figure this out, replay the game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> whereas Professor Layton isn't quite as harsh as that. Um, so I don't know. I feel I feel bad. I look. I feel bad talking down on Professor Layton because I did not play it for as long as I would like to pass this kind of a judgment on it. I do wish I'd managed to get to more of the meat of the story that you suggested. I just also feel like again, it's just it's just never gonna quite. It's it, the best possible version of this video game is still never going to enter the higher tiers of video game that I like. And that's a very personal take. And so obviously if you're listening to this and you like the sound of a very large Osborne puzzle book, you're going to have a whale of a... This is the best possible version of that concept. It's just not necessarily for me. I think, Lewis, knowing 
you and knowing your taste in video games and knowing how I feel about this game, that's the best I could have hoped for. <laughs> I, I, I think this was never going to be the best video game that you've never played, but it was always going to be my favorite video game that you've never played. Well, I think that's absolutely fair. I think on that expectation, you were very correct. And I'm, I've, I've, I've enjoyed my time with it. And I think I will, like I say, I'm going to keep going with it. It's on my phone, so it's very easy to just pick up and play and then leave alone. I think, if anything, this is actually in some ways also a good format because I can just come back to it whenever. It's not like, you know, when I play another video game, I have to sit down with the console and boot it up and get ready to go and make sure that I'm not monopolizing the television and so on. Um, in another, so this is quite an easy game to dip in. In another time, in another world, it's the perfect commuting game. Absolutely. Oh, 100%. If I still had to commute on the train to my job, I would be all over this game. I would have I would have put in a far more hours on this than where I am now. As it is right now, I am surrounded by everything that can play every possible video game you can conceive of. And so just plinking away on my phone just feels a bit like, hmm. Yeah. I could be I could be playing a full blown HD immersive video game and right now I'm trying to slide this luggage from one side of the screen to the other and I can't do it. Why can't I do it? With a wild, so, yeah. wild... But thank you for coming on. While well, a small thank boy talks to a cow. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on. I hope it wasn't too grueling me pointing out <laughs> the flaws in Professor Layton. Not at all. I, I enjoyed having the flaws pointed out because in many ways I was expecting it. Huge thanks to James for coming on to the podcast there. I do still feel bad about having not played more Professor Layton. And I've got to tell you now, I'm recording this outro a few weeks later. I still haven't played much of it. I still haven't really touched it. I've been so busy with the other games that are coming up later on this podcast. But I do hope now that things are settling down a bit, I will be able to find some time to play more. If you like the podcast, why not leave a review? You can listen to this little rant that I give to you at the end of every single episode, and I will always put it here because apparently this is how you get people to do it, is you nag and nag and nag until eventually their overwhelming sense of guilt means that they eventually do it. So please, leave a review on Apple iTunes, on a Podcast Addict. You can, for some reason, get these all on YouTube as well. So if you go onto YouTube and you're like, I want to share the podcast, but I don't want to make somebody download an RSS feed, you can go on YouTube and find the podcasts there. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Stay safe.